Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Made For More podcast. Today I am interviewing a very wonderful guest. I have got Zoe Routh. Zoe is one of Australia's leading experts on people stuff in leadership. She helps leaders and teams overcome silos and turf wars to be able to work better together. She has worked with individuals and teams internationally and in Australia since 1987. From the wild rivers of of northern Ontario to the remote regions of Australia, Zoe has spent the last 30 years showing teams struggling with office politics and silos how to work better together. Zoe is also the author of four books, the first one being Composure, How Centred Leaders Make the Biggest Impact, Moments, Leadership When It Matters Most, and Loyalty, Stop Unwanted Stuff, Staff Turnover, Boost Engagement, and Build Lifelong Advocates, and her fourth book, People Stuff Beyond Personality Problems, has won numerous awards. I loved chatting with Zoe today. It was absolutely uh, amazing and very enlightening. And if you are listening to this over the Christmas break, be sure to set aside uh, some time to recognize your own awe moments, which you'll hear more about from Zoe in today's uh, in today's episode. To find some more information, don't forget to download the show notes, all of the links that we talk about will be in the show notes. And if you have a chance to uh, leave a comment, please do so. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Made For More podcast. I'll be sharing my experiences along with some actionable advice to take your leadership to the next level. Introducing your host, it's me, Ali Nitschke. I'm a leadership and courageous conversations expert, a Nutella lover, a mother of four young boys, a wife, and a dance floor junkie. I'm here to give you the motivation you need to level up, lead yourself, lead your team, and your business. Let's go. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Made For More podcast. I am very excited to introduce Zoe. Hello, Zoe. How are you? Welcome to the show. Ali, what a delight to be here. You're such a radiant star. It's going to be fun. (laughs) It is going to be fun. We were already just having a quick uh, discussion before I hit record. I am very excited to dig into today's topic. But before we do that... uh, Tell us a little bit about where you've come from and where you're going. Well, uh, first thing you're going to hear is my accent. Apparently, I have one. And (laughs) I'm imported from Canada, land of lakes, rivers, and maple syrup. And I got extracted from Canada and landed here in 1996. What I was doing over in Canada was um, scrambling through life as a student, uh, getting my English literature degree, and having a real life in the summers where I led canoe trips and did outdoor adventurous stuff at a summer camp. Um, Then that sort of kicked off my career, if you like, and that brought me out here to Australia where I worked at Outward Bound, which is personal and professional development in the outdoors. So I had more grand adventures here in Australia. Then I worked at the Australian Rural Leadership Foundation and went heavy and long into leadership in different contexts and different industries, which is a bucket of fun. And I set up my own leadership development business in 2002, did it part-time for a long time, and then have been running that professionally for the last, full-time for the last seven or eight years, eight years, I think now. 
where am I going? <laughs> How exciting. There's so many different things I am going towards. I'm writing some new books. I'm continually offering leadership development to general managers and CEOs across industries. And I'm going to move to Newcastle at some stage, which is pretty exciting. Oh, my sister lives there. There you go. There you go. All the cool people. <laughs> That's where all the cool people are. That's right. So tell me a little bit around, um, you started off doing adventure outdoorsy things, which then shifted you into Australia and you're in Canberra at the moment. But when you were saying um, outdoorsy, personal and professional development, what are we talking? Okay. So three different contexts for doing outdoor kind of work. And uh, the first one is really pragmatic team development, self-development. That's what I did at summer camp. That's really learning about who you are as a human and what your limits are and how you interact and work with, with others. And that's sort of what I also did at Outward Bound. It was like pushing your own personal limits, discovering yep. more in you than you, than you thought you, there was there and yep. also how to work and establish team development. So that's sort of one aspect of the outdoorsy work. Another part of the work that I did in the outdoors was using the outdoors as a bit of a container or a metaphor or a platform to understand uh, how we perform as leaders under pressure, how we uh, respond to difficult circumstances, and how we can work better together in face of ambiguity and uncertainty, which is really, really relevant to where we are at now. And the third way that I've used or experienced the outdoors in the leadership development context is actually using it as a way to decompress and also to access awe which gives us a different brain state. And in, the, mm -hmm. in, in face of beautiful landscapes, uh, spectacular vistas, big mountain ranges, all that kind of stuff, what happens in our brains is really quite interesting. The research shows that it lowers our activity in our frontal lobe, which is where our sense of self exists. So that gets dialed right down. And in this state of awe, we have a sense of extreme connectivity to all things. And that sort of being overwhelmed by the amazingness of whatever we're experiencing allows us to be uh, more calm, more stoic, and also therefore more creative because it, it reduces the filters we put in place and allows us to make connections we hadn't seen before. So I use the outdoors to help people get into that state so they can reflect on their selves, their work, their leadership and in a place that elevates their thinking, elevates their state of being. So there's three different ways to experience the outdoors as a way to shift understanding of self team and leadership in general so that's sort of what i've i've played with for the last 30 years when it comes to the outdoorsy side of my work yeah wow that's fascinating because i um obviously the, these days you can't go anywhere without hearing about connecting with nature and get out and get grounded and, and all of these types of things but i have never heard the experiencing of awe and what that does to your frontal lobe that is that is fascinating and I I actually uh, love the outdoors I'm very lucky to live right near the beach so I will constantly be out there and be like oh my gosh look at it today and I'm quite uh, enamored by the nature and I think we don't often spend enough time just taking it all in but I had no idea that there was that cognitive link with it as yeah. well that's fascinating yeah um so there's been a like I teed into some of this research in Dakar Keltner's work. He wrote The Power of Paradox, which is an amazing book, which I highly recommend. And it's also that kind of research has been hooked up um, through exploring astronauts' experience of looking back on the Earth. And it's known as the overview effect. And um, 
one of the astronauts who came back in the early or late 60s, early 70s, talked about this, the sense of oneness. It's almost like an enlightenment experience they had just hanging in space, looking at our beautiful blue dot of a planet and going, it is so fragile, it is so miraculous. And that sense of connection to all living things on the planet and this uh, respect and honoring of life forms and life itself is uh, what a lot of uh, astronauts experience when they're in space. In fact, there's um, iSpace Lab, I think it's called, is working to give people that experience of the overview effect through virtual reality. So they've got these VR glasses that people can put on and there's some filmography of being in, a, in space from the International Space Station and other uh, things that they've sent up there and they piece together this experience that people can have and you can get that sense of awe through VR. And the idea is to build that sense of connectivity and creativity and uh, collectivism that a lot of the astronauts have experienced in their view of the world from space, uh, which I think is an accelerator for leadership consciousness and leadership development in general. So I'm pretty excited that we're bringing the opportunity for people to get the overview effect on land through VR. <laughs> um, but it's a, it's a pretty profound experience. You don't have to go to space to do it. You don't have to put on VR headsets to do it. You can climb up a hill, look at the sky and marvel at the beauty. And it's one way to have that sort of experience. And I think it's actually pretty fundamental for leaders to, to ex have those experiences right now yeah. because it allows them to access different aspects of their brilliance and their creativity that they wouldn't necessarily get when they're caught up in the trap of uh, what's happening next week, I can't get through my work, all that kind of day-to-day -day grind stuff. We need to get out of that into these bigger picture, bigger states of being so we can find new solutions to the challenges that we're facing right now. Yeah. I love that. And I think that's wonderful that you've tied that in with the leaders and being able to have, you know, get out of the, the four walls of a cubicle or your home office or whatever it happens to be and be able to actively and intentionally activate that creativity side of your brain to, is it from a problem solving perspective that you're finding or is it what, what's been sort of, I guess, with your, the work that you're doing and the work that you do with leaders, what's been the main uh, the main results that you've seen from people being able to experience that overview effect? Well, for some, it's individual reflection. So a yeah. couple of years ago before lockdowns, took groups of leaders from different organizations out into uh, the Lara Pinta, which is a beautiful, expansive walk just west of Alice Springs, this spectacular country out there. And they had four days together where they could enjoy the wilderness and take them out of their normal experience and give them somewhere new to just settle, decompress, shed any of the stimulation you get from uh, mobile devices, all that kind of technology stuff. So that deep reflection is the, is the first outcome uh, or experience they had, the opportunity just to press pause and think deeply about what's happening in their own personal and professional worlds. In terms of teams, there, this is, this is, um, you know, a, a vouch for really good offsites, uh, leadership retreats and offsites. We go somewhere spectacular and, or it doesn't even have to be spectacular, like on top of a mountain, but somewhere beautiful in nature really yeah. allows people to access their creativity. And, and that's the first part, their creativity. And the yeah. second part is their connection with each other. Yeah. So when you have experiences like that, you get to see each other from a totally different angle. Your, your social guards drop a little bit because you have to band together to work out how you're going to operate in the new space and sort of everybody's a bit more on an even keel. So that connectivity 
and that creativity really combined beautifully in offsites in spectacular settings. So um, that's what I always encourage leaders to do if they're running, uh, thinking about their strategic planning, don't do it in your freaking boardroom, like go somewhere, which <laughs> is a little bit different and it'll get you to think differently and make new different, make different connections and different ideas. Yeah, I love that. So you mentioned around, um, you know, being able to press pause and almost recalibrate. And I think collectively, the entire, the entire country, the entire world has done that to some degree. And I think, um, you know, certainly here in Adelaide, we've been in, in a little bit of a bubble. Similar to Canberra, you've had a shorter amount of uh, lockdowns and timeout yep. compared to some of our other, our other states. What do you think... Um, what are you seeing now leaders need to be making that shift, whether they're transitioning back into the workplace or whether we're trying to get to, um, you know, back to kind of a normal and regular way of living and leading? Obviously, there's a number of different things to be thinking about. What, what are you noticing that leaders really need to be able to stay relevant for right now? Well, there's the pragmatic stuff, right? And people are sort of chewing on that. The pragmatic stuff is how are we going to organise our work arrangements are we going to do hybrid are we going to make people come back to to offices and how do we run logistics of that how do we run the culture based on that so i think there's some hygiene issues around that that need to be uh looked at i think from a bigger picture point of view there's something more important to pay attention to though and it's something that i talk about with my amplifiers group which is my high level leadership development program for ceos and we talk about the transition from being an achiever to being an amplifier Mm. An achiever is kind of like what we know to be a successful leader. You know, it's a conventional yeah. idea, like we galvanize the troops, set a plan, move people forward with the high performance levels and kick some goals. And that's, that's achievement and extremely important. We don't want to ever throw that out. The challenge is though, when we get to the context in which we find ourselves now, which is volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous, VUCA, as you might you know as the acronym, I would add exponential into that as well, yes. exponential change. So we have this whirlwind of, of a context and it means that we have to lead differently. We can't just keep leading as an achiever, which is all about setting goals and plans and just walking through our steps in a linear way towards an outcome because things are shifting and changing all the time as we've all experienced over the last two years. So there's three things that we need to do in order to do be able to contend with a new context and survive it and not burn out. And the first thing that we need to do is reduce friction. We need Mm. to reduce friction in our organizations and our systems and our relationships. That's the first thing. And the second thing that we need to do is to um, build capability in ourselves and in the people around us. That's how we amplify our capability and our resources and our resilience is that, that piece. And the third thing we need to do is maximize energy. Uh, so that means building up our own personal energy as well as the energy of the team. And specifically, that means accessing flow states. And so being really uh, in tune with what we can do to structure our, our flow of work so that we can be in that hyper-creative, hyper-productive state as individuals and as a collective. Uh, that way we can produce way more ideas, way more um, deliverables. Yeah. <laughs> so we can get more done, more stuff done better, faster. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you, t- what you touched on there around maximizing energy and finding your flow straight, uh, flow state, I, the leaders that I'm working with at the moment, they're going, you know, I'm finding that I'm most productive between 6am and 9am. One, there's not people there all the time. And two, that's just my natural 
time when I'm most active and most creative. And then on the reverse side, I've got some other clients um, and a CEO, CEO in particular who kind of works in shifts. So he will come back online for whatever it happens to be from eight till midnight. And that's his flow state. Do you think that there is, I mean, we've we've worked in a in a world where we've got a nine to five and everyone went into their office and went home again. And then over time, there's been, uh, I guess, boundaries around when you're on versus when you're off have become more and more blurry. Whilst I think it's really important that we do have boundaries and that leaders are very clear on those, do you think there is an opportunity and do you think there's a space for teams to be able to work cohesively where you are optimizing people's individual working time while still maintaining boundaries? Uh, the short answer is yes, absolutely. Yeah. And the, the experiences that you're talking to, Alessandra Edwards, who is a um, performance genome expert specialist, she would talk about how our DNA actually programs our biorhythm. So some people, as you've mentioned, are early morning people and some people are late at night people. And it's the late at night people who struggle mostly in the nine to five setting because they don't actually rev up towards the end of the day when everybody else is, or a lot of other people are winding down. Yeah. And so the workplace is actually not designed to leverage the talent of those people who are genetically disposed to be more creative and dynamic later on. Um, so there is opportunity now with flexible hybrid working arrangements to allow people to set their workflow based on their own genetic profile. Yep. There is some challenges, though, because that's great for individual performance. It's problematic when you're trying to do team activities together. And so you yep. got to find the narrow window that suits where you're like, where do you, I'm waning, you're waxing. How do we actually come together? The second aspect of what you talked about in terms of I get my best work done between six and nine, it may be the biorhythms. And it's also the ability to concentrate, the ability yep. to do deep work, as Cal Newport talks about. And it is a significant contributor to getting into the flow state is the ability to focus on one set thing at a time. Yep. And yep. that sort of hooks us into that creative space. I think hybrid working arrangements can possibly allow us more autonomy to set up our workspaces in a way that can promote that, depending on what your home life situation is. Not everybody's home life is conducive to non-interruptions. <laughs> Some yes. home places are just interruptions altogether. Yeah, I have a thousand kids, so I'm continually interrupted by my thousands a thousand of children. Kids, yeah. Well, you've been busy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it is a little bit like that. So you work, um, in fact, you've got a book called uh, The People Stuff in that leadership. Uh, so tell me a little bit around, I mean, I know that traditionally leadership, we've been focusing on business acumen. I think more and more we're shedding a light on the soft skills, uh, air quotes, soft skills of people management. Tell me a little bit around what prompted you to write people stuff it was asking leaders that I work with okay which is a standard uh, intake question what's your biggest challenge in leadership yeah and it was always some version of it's the people it's my team it's dealing with the board it was always the relationship stuff yeah it was never ah oh, I can't think of how to develop a really good strategy most leaders actually find that part of the work easier um, yeah. they love that kind of deep thinking work their challenge in doing the deep thinking work is actually carving out time and space and applying tools to do it. That, but that's another story aside. Yeah. When I ask people about this, you know, the people dynamics that's, that are problematic. So I started digging into that a little bit more. It's like, okay, what kinds of challenges are you facing? And what are, what is the stuff that keeps you up late at night? And I started to map it out from there, essentially, you know, yeah. you solve the problem stuff and then leadership so much easier. 
I often joke that leadership would be um, really easy as long as there was no people involved similar yeah. to the communication <laughs> like you know communicating would be so easy That's apart true. from that you know variable of people <laughs> that mm-hmm. often uh, we have to deal with of course so yeah. uh, we were talking just before I hit record as well around this stage where we are right now we're talking about the great resignation there's people that have pushed pause and now that they've pushed pause have decided that actually when they want to push play again perhaps it's on a different path or at a different pace or in a different environment what are you seeing now and how can you know CEO CEOs navigate being able to support their their team to be able to uh, do what's best for them but also making sure that you don't have a mass exodus of of talent across um, across an organization well i think the fundamentals apply right so if you're worried about losing people then you need to look at your basic practices and there's a couple of things that to, to, to have in place to make sure that things are going to go well. And that's how you set up your culture from the first place. And I always get my leaders to do a culture compass, which includes a culture charter. So a charter of behaviors that you all agree to as a team that you collectively agree on that, yeah. and hold each other to account around that you're really clear on your purpose. You're very clear on the results you're meant to generate. And you're really clear on who your customer is and what your business, what you're actually in business for. So that kind of clarity of scope and focus is an example of one of the fundamentals. I think yeah. if people were like, oh, are people going to leave me? It's like, well, why, why would they leave you if you're doing everything brilliantly as a leader? Like if, you, you, if, you're, if you've got purpose, results, your, working, your structure and your workflows are uh, encouraged flow as opposed to friction, if you're leveraging people's strengths, and if you've got good stories where people can actually speak up and share their perspective and, um, and their ideas without fear of retribution, those are the fundamentals that we need to have in place. If you don't have those in place, mm. people are going to leave for sure. Yeah. Um, and I think the other aspect of the great resignation is it's, it hasn't really taken off the way it has in the U.S. Uh, yet. And will it, yeah. won't it, don't know. There's definitely some... Uh, some industries that are under pressure and finding it difficult to either recruit people into the industry. And it's, it's often the ones that are the industries that are trying to recover, like hospitality and tourism um, yeah. and some professional services as well, where people are sort of shopping around going, well, I can work from anywhere. So I'm going to find the, the setup that works best for me in terms yeah. of uh, team dynamics, culture, support, resources, rewards. And if, if you've got things if it's too hard, then people will go for sure. Yep. Yep. Make it easy. Make it, yeah. Make it easy for people to enjoy working where they are. And yeah. Um, so all the fundamentals I just list, listed. And also like the biggest, the biggest thing that's an attractor and the research showed this, uh, research by OC10 in 2016 showed this, is that more than money, more than purpose, autonomy, and mastery, which Dan Pink talks about, it's yeah. recognition is the yeah. thing that contributes most to people enjoying their work. And oh my God, how simple is that? To say, yeah. thank you, that was amazing what you did here. Um, so yeah, get those fundamentals yeah. right. You have a better chance of not worrying about the great resignation. Yes, yes. I've been speaking to a few um, a few leaders lately and they're going, don't tell me it's coming, I'm already right 
in it and they are in those uh, in those industries that you just talked about where either they're recovering or they're in like quite a transient and people are job hopping as well. So what kind of um, things do you think uh, we're in a new, well, I think we're in a new age of leadership these days where there is more focus on that connection. There is more focus on uh, people enjoying themselves at work. You know, if we're talking nine to five or 40 or 50, 60 hours a week, however many hours it happens to be, I think there's definitely... Um, a shift in focus and also a responsibility for leaders to be helping to create that kind of environment and culture. What kind of shifts do you think that leaders really need to be making so that they are relevant, so that they are effective for, you know, the end of 2021 or and the beginning of 2022 for the next 12 months? Well, there's the three that I mentioned, uh, yep. which are to um, reduce friction, maximize, uh, build capability and maximize energy. Yep. And aside from that, I think really for me, the secret is around perspective. And that's essentially what my book, People Stuff, is about. How do we lead, see better so that we can lead better? See and better so you can lead better. I love that. See, see better yeah. so you can lead better. Not, or seed better. Well, that's mixing a couple metaphors in there. Uh, yeah. Why not? But see better so you can lead see better. Pe- yeah. 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 So I think. Developing our point of view and our perspective so that we can see more is, is really critical. Yeah. And so I want to see leaders look further, um, far deep and wide is essentially the three areas that they can start to focus on, yeah. uh, as well as um, reflection on self. Yeah. Perspective on self is really critical. And becoming a reflective practitioner is one of the most important things we can do as leaders to help us uh, grow and develop. Um, so that's that's having a look at the end of the day. How did I show up today? Where did I get derailed? Where did I do well? Where did I, where could I have done things better? Um, And also interrogating our thinking. I think that's also really important. And there's been a lot of conversation in the last couple of years about cognitive bias. And when we start to take an x-ray vision, looking at our beliefs, I think that's pretty important. I was having dinner with a friend last night and uh, she has, she said, she was telling me a story about, she was thinking about this, she's in a new relationship and she was talking about this guy she st- just started dating and he's from a different culture to her. And these little thoughts bubbled up that she knows came from her parents, her European background. She's like, yeah. oh my God, that's a racist thought. That's a racist belief that's come up from my background. I don't yeah. want that belief. I don't want that thought. And it's been sitting there under the surface and she was horrified that it was there. She never yeah. believed herself to be racist. And yet there were these little seeds, there's the word, uh, a little seeds of belief that, that sort of sat in their background. And uh, she was asking me like, have you ever had an experience like that where you've surfaced some beliefs that you didn't know were running the show? I'm like, oh yeah. yeah. All the time. Yeah. <laughs> and I think um, as a reflective practitioner, we get we need to start to master that and to be able to observe our thinking and not take our thoughts as a default or, or as truths yeah. and to hang on to our beliefs a lot more lightly uh, because yeah. they are constructs that are not necessarily the truth, even though they feel like truth. So I think that is absolutely one of the meta skills that leaders need to have is this ability to reflect on their thinking and how they put meaning behind things and what beliefs they hold because it guides behavior, it guides feelings, it, it guides everything. So yeah, putting a flashlight on that is step number one in my point, in, in yeah. my point, 
in my point of view, my in my perspective. There we go. Perspective. Um, you are absolutely speaking my language, and I think we do need to spend more time thinking. It's more time thinking about our thoughts. I call it head junk, but I think um, everyone's got a version of something they don't realize until it bubbles to the to the surface, and you go, "Hang on a minute." Where's that come from and what does that actually mean right now? So just to backtrack um, on what you were saying earlier when we were talking about the awe, awe effect and when getting out into nature, can the, having that um, the overview effect rather, does that help unpack and recognise your thinking when we're talking about thinking? Are they related or not related? Mm, um, the sense of awe puts you in a different state of mind yeah um could you then start doing thinking interrogation from that i think so i haven't actually asked that question or been asked that question before um oh i love so, when i get to ask a fresh question yeah so i think intuitively i want to answer yeah they could one could be a precursor yeah. to the other because yeah. when you're in a state of awe, you, all your cortisol and adrenaline is lowered. So you're less reactive to anything. And yeah. if you want to pull out your journal and then start doing some reflective practice around your thinking, then obviously that's going to be a great time to do that. Yeah. Uh, because you feel so connected to the bigger picture that your little picture of, of the little eye of you uh, becomes less clingy, if you like. You can sort of feel okay to examine all the warts and all aspect of of the little eye yeah. sense of self to um, hold it lightly so, yeah mm, I love that yeah. that's really really interesting and definitely a practice that I think is something that we all need to practice really not just um not just leaders but everyone having a look at what what is it that we're thinking and what are our thoughts telling us and are they true and do we need to keep holding on to that belief Probably not in a yeah. lot of instances. And there's probably some that we could hold on to a little bit more tightly. Uh, I know particularly for women in leadership as well, there's probably some beliefs that they can hold on to more tightly and let go of some that no longer serve them as well. Well, it's choosing your software, right? So that's what <sighs> that's beliefs are, is yeah. like, it's what programming are you running? And yeah. you get to choose the programming. We don't have to run on default stuff. So absolutely, yeah. we can choose beliefs that just... Um, that support us and the other the other work that i would point people um towards is buster benson's book why are we yelling have you have you come no. across that one no but i think really i need amazing. to read it but what is it buster yeah. benson buster benson <laughs> why benson. are we yelling and he the subtitle is how to have productive disagreements <sighs> and, and it's really important i think for where we find ourselves now where there are so many polarized conversations around you name it vaccines yeah. elections lots of different topics yeah. and what we find is that we dig into our point of view our beliefs and we alienate and uh ostracize those who don't agree with us and it's no way to live it's a very stressful way to live and it leads nowhere in terms of resolution of issues and uh, so his his work is really amazing on that i had the great privilege of interviewing him on my podcast and exploring it a little bit differently um, so yeah, I would highly recommend that. And look, his, his key methodology or his key principles is, is to not try and go and change people's minds. Uh, but the paradigm is to bring minds together and to do yeah. that, you just need to be extremely curious about someone else, where they've yeah. come from, where their ideas have come from. 
and yeah. that you have a conversation based on questioning, compassionate questioning, you know, like, yeah. how is it that you came to have these beliefs? You know, why do you hold it to be true? What would have to be true if you were to change your mind? Like, you have yeah. questions like that. And you're not trying to get an angle and trying and to chisel away their argument. You're just trying to understand where they're coming from. And it makes life a lot easier when you don't have your buttons pushed by someone who disagrees with you. And I think there's great hope and promise in that kind of approach and that kind of work. And it is all about perspective and exploring uh, points of view. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so tell us a little bit more about your book. You held it up for me before, which was awesome. It is a multi-award winner. Tell me a little bit or tell the listeners a little <laughs> bit around it. People stuff beyond personality problems. Yeah, an advanced handbook for leadership. So uh, people stuff. Um, it's about perspective. And the yep. first part of the book is about how do we do that? How do we look far, deep and wide? And there's a couple of activities and processes to go through where we can start to look at how to expand our point of view. Uh, then we talk about perspective on self and using archetypes to help us show up as the best version of ourselves in different contexts. So there's five different archetypes to contend with. Um, the next chapter is around perspective on other people. And this was the four devils of people stuff yes. and problematic behavior that pops up in workplaces and relationships and what drives that. Uh, and the last piece is actually a short chapter on what we've talked about, which is the overview effect and that sense of connection and oneness and how, how we, we need to redefine what we think us is. And so that it's ever, ever more expansive and inclusive. And that allows us to lead with both wisdom and compassion where we lead with the best of our mind and best of our heart, where we have, we can lead with both um, being sensible and sensitive. And I think mm. those, that dichotomy or that dynamic is one of the things that leaders need to um, hold uh, in, in their approach to leadership. We were talking before you hit record about that, the tensions about, you know, being compassionate and still holding people to account is that polarity that leaders need to navigate. Yeah. So the work in this book is about how to do that, how you can actually lead the best of the heart, best of the mind. So you can be, hold those two spaces, sensible and, and sensitive at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So, so true. Amazing. Sensitive. I'm just writing my own notes here to look up later. <laughs> um, so thank you so much. Sorry, this has been a, incredible. I wish we could keep talking for many, many hours, but what would be to wrap up your five tips for leaders? Right. Well, I did my homework and took some notes around that. Um, so we, we touched on a couple of them. So one of them is to, is to develop a reflective practice. Yeah. And so pull out a journal, whether you actually take audio notes or written notes, written notes tend to help cement our ideas better and to externalize them better. And a couple of things that you can do in your reflective practice is to have a, a win log. I love that idea where every day you record your wins for the day. And the reason yep. we do that is that it helps build up a sense of confidence in our abilities and it helps boost our morale because if you're waiting for the earth to move <laughs> and as a metaphor and for your success to arrive, whatever, it can feel like you're in the desert. So having a win log, it makes you feel like you're actually developing a sense of progress, which is really motivating. The other thing you can do in your reflective practice is to look back on your journal and to see how far you've come. And um, Dan Sullivan talks about this. He says that 
if you want to get confidence, look backwards, not forwards. Yeah. And what he means is that you look back on how far you've come because it's often a lot further uh, than where you think you have to go. If you're always looking forward to where do I want to go? What's my, what are my goals? It, it can feel like a long, long, long way away with so much uncertainty. But when we look back and see how far we've come, that sense of uh, progress is really motivating. So that's two pieces. So that's, you know, point one A and point one B. <laughs> I'll take that as two, two tips there. Um, with a perspective piece, it's looking far, deep and wide. And when I say far, I think as leaders need to think a little bit more extensively about their time horizon. I yeah. heard you mention it on one of your interviews as well with how many generations are we thinking about when we make decisions? And yeah. the Iroquois talked about seven generations, which is only about 200 years or so. It's not that long when you think about it in the context of our um, First Nations people in Australia, 60,000 years of human history. Yeah. And if you expand that out to human history in general, a couple yeah. hundred thousand years. And then if you think about life of the planet, four billion years, your sense of time horizon can really it's an important stretch of the mind to think about that yep. because it, it puts your decisions into a different context and it helps you think about things a little bit differently. So that you're not always pressing react, react, react button. Um, so that's perspective on far deep is about looking below the surface of issues. And there's a number of different activities you can do to do that. I like doing a problem tree where you take a visible problem and then you take two branches off and go, well, what were the two contributing factors to that? And then you do under each of those bubbles, what are two contributing factors to that? And you go down several layers on your problem tree. And it's usually the little things at the bottom, which are the significant contributors uh, to the problem. So that's one way to look below the surface, to look deep on an issue. Yeah. And the wide piece is all about who's, who's in the circle of us. Where does your circle of concern end? You know, is it you and your family? Is it you and your team? Is it you and your organization? Is it you, your organization, your community? your country, your planet, your universe. And the wider your sphere of concern, the more compassionate you're gonna show up. And when you're showing up with compassion, you're actually more calm. And that makes leadership so much easier. Okay, yeah. so we're, that's three points, that's five points. Uh, I have one more if that's okay. That is okay, a little supplementary, yes, of course. All right, supplementary point number six. Uh, and that is to use the archetype of the elder to help channel all of your leadership activity and for me the elder is like the big kahuna of all the archetypes and the the elder is has the ability to lead with both wisdom and compassion as we mentioned previously best of the mind best of the heart and if you're wondering about how do i make a decision about this think about an elder and how they might approach it you know what's mm -hmm. the wise approach to this what's the compassion approach to this and how can i blend the two together uh so i think if we, if we keep asking, how do I operate as an elder, no matter what our age or background or cultural uh, cultural norms are, I think that would serve us a lot better. If we have more people operating as elders, uh, we'd have less reactivity and mm. more proactivity and more wisdom and more compassion, which yeah. is a good thing, I think, in leadership. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think you touched on something really important there is you don't necessarily have to be the elder. Just think, you know, what would, what would the elder do in this scenario? or in this situation and, and bring that um, that elder hat to the decision-making table or whatever the process happens to be that you're going through. Mm. I think that's fantastic. 
Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time. I will um, put all of the links to the resources that you've mentioned and also the link into your book as well for how people can uh, grab a copy of that. Uh, what I would like to know is you mentioned you've got a free download for people as well. Yeah, it's called How to Spot and Deal with Difficult Behaviours in the Workplace. And that's on my website, zoerouth.com. That's Z-O-E-R-O-U-T-H, like mouth with an R is my last name. And <laughs> yep. uh, you just click on resources and there's the free guide right there. Brilliant. And I will link to that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for your time today, Zoe. It's been amazing. Thank you, Ali. This has been a delight. And thanks for all the work that you're doing out in the world too. Right back at you. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you enjoyed this episode on the Made For More podcast, please make sure you subscribe to receive future episodes. And of course, five-star reviews are always welcome on the Apple podcast. If you'd like a copy of the show notes or any of the links mentioned today, check out madeformore.com.au forward slash podcast. And of course, if we aren't connected already, you can find me in all the usual places. Ali Nitschke on LinkedIn, Ali.MadeForMore on Facebook and Instagram. I hope you have an awesome week and I'll catch you again soon. Bye-bye.